0: Hello everybody and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 140. I am your host, Nicholas Minix, and joining me as usual during the week is Eno Saris. Eno, how are you doing today?
1: I believe uh, you said it right when you said you're the Brian Dozier of uh, this home run derby right here.
0: Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I was really hoping to skip that part, but now I guess, and now I guess it's all part of the show. Uh, my self esteem is on the rise before we get into uh, so a number of other requested topics that we really wanted to cover for all our listeners we are kind of excited to talk about a few of these guys. Uh, I have to mention, uh, Homer Bailey left his start for the Reds today with a knee injury. Specifically, it sounds to be something related to his patellar tendon. Uh, obviously, we don't have an update as of yet, but uh, it's encouraging simply because it's not uh, an arm-related injury. Depends on how the Reds handle this uh, and how Bailey handles this as, uh, as to whether this could—I mean, this could always end up affecting him down the road if he comes back too soon or anything like that. You know any thoughts on uh, on your yeah, just uh, the the initial breakdown of this?
1: Well, from how it looked, it looked like it was kind of intense, and um, you know that he might miss some time. So uh, let's just hope that it's not anything crazy like uh, Derek Holland's thing, where he was out just as long as if it was an arm injury. So otherwise, uh, I think probably uh, you know you're talking about like a four to six uh, week. Situation being the worst-case scenario um, and maybe a missed start or two uh, being the best-case scenario. So, uh, you know, you know, the thing about Homer Bailey that's just so frustrating this year is that, you know, in terms of what his pitches are doing and in terms of what he's doing in a, on a peripheral basis, uh, he's pretty much the same as he was last year. And um, and yet, you know, some bad Babbitt um, and some bad Homer luck have, have put him into... Um, you know, an ERA and a whip, I don't think he quite deserves. So, he's in fact improved his swinging strike rate, which is kind of fun, but hmm. not fun for his owners, I guess. I'm mostly happy that he's kept his 94 mile an hour velocity. Uh, that, was a big, that was a big part, I think, of his of his uh, step forward last year. And so, um, you know, if he came back out there and the knee was healthy, I'd still think he was a buy low.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, what, what interests me, I mean, uh, yeah, overall, I think I'd be concerned. I think because of this and Bailey keeping the velocity, I mean, he looks like if the numbers stay this bad, he could be really not a bad option to kind of uh, get it a value again next season, like, kind of like he was last year. And um, that's perhaps possible even if he doesn't keep quite the same amount of velocity because of the, a number of factors. I was I was interested to ask you, I mean, you've worked a lot more with the injury data. Uh, typically we say uh, pass injury indicates – uh, future likelihood of injury and things like that. Does it, um, does it, is it, does it work? This, this is one thing I'm not really aware of. Does it work the same way when you're talking about like a non arm related injury for a pitcher, such as something like a knee where if he's completely rehabbed, he can come back from, it. for instance, like Willie Peralta, I remember he tore his ACL several years ago, um, missed postseason for Milwaukee, et cetera, et cetera. And came back, missed an entire season, basically, I think it was. And, um, since then, I mean, as far as health has been concerned, he hasn't really had any problems, but that's just the nice little incident. It's something for me easily to consider. Are we worried about Derek Holland down the road, assuming that he's completely recovered from his injury?
1: Yeah, it is hard. It's also hard when you bring in the fact, like, uh, for example, Jed Lowry seemed like he was super injury prone. Um, when I interviewed him, he was like, well, yeah, I got hit by a pitch, and then there was a big takeout slide, and, hmm. you know... I don't really think that those things have any, you know, anything to do with how, how, you know, good I am at staying healthy. Right. He had a point. Um, and, you know, when you do numbers-based analysis, you have to let some of that stuff go in order to get a good sample. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, we, I would, I would, uh, take it with a grain of salt if it was a non-arm injury, a non, you know, sort of arm shoulder injury to a pitcher, um, or if in the case of uh, a batter it was due to being hit by pitch if as long if they aren't guys that get hit by pitches all the time I mean it's like yeah Carlos Quentin how do you separate out the hit by pitch injury from his own injury history because Carlos Quentin gets hit by pitches all the time so you could say well a lot of that's from being hit by pitches he's going to keep getting hit by pitches so Um, and you can almost say the same about the legs for pitchers it's like Okay, well, um, you know, maybe he fixed the leg, and the leg is not as important. But you know, they use the leg every time they throw, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's still a body part, and it's still a body part that's been injured. And 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 I think some of this comes from the fact that once an actual ligament or 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 joint has been injured, it's it's weaker. Just that that is a sort of fact. I think is a fact of bodies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you know, no matter what you can say, I'm fully recovered. You look at Joey Votto; um, he was hurt uh, a year ago, and then he said last year, "I feel I feel really great." He said the beginning of this year, "I feel really great; it's ready to go." And you have to wonder how much of what he's going through is is due to that old injury. Um,
0: right? Yeah, knee surgery. Yeah, a couple yeah, of years yeah. ago. Yeah.
1: So I think um, you know you. I think the the basic theory behind it is 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 true and then if you you know kind of try to find some um you know some places where you can kind of oh well this guy had these extenuating circumstances maybe maybe you can find some extenuating circumstances
0: right yeah it makes a lot of sense i mean just like we take with anything uh we put we put players in buckets but then if we're going to examine any player's individual case you examine the individual case and not just make the assumption and uh, speaking of assumptions, I guess we put Joe Nathan in a bucket of old pitchers and uh, just wanted to bring this up because it, I heard it on broadcast uh, as well, but uh, that apparently he's made some mechanical changes. They include some change of the arm slot and or release point, uh, basically the same thing, but um, three straight scoreless appearances, uh, some, a few strikeouts in there. It's a, Obviously we, it's, far too little to draw any conclusions from. And, I mean, it's a pitcher who – but it is a pitcher who has kind of uh, continued to adapt to a diminishing repertoire. Uh, also, there's some news uh, that uh, Dave Dabrowski, uh within the past week or so, did say that if the Tigers do trade for a reliever, uh, it will be someone who fills in only in a setup capacity that Nathan is his closer. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean it's written in stone, but um, they well, sit They seem pretty intent to keep. That Also
1: helps him in his negotiations. I don't need a closer, so don't sell him to me like he's a closer.
0: That is true. That is true.
1: (laughs) So self-serving, vote of confidence. But I I try to look at what I could find in terms of release points, and um, you know, there's there there is a a big change in release points in maybe sort of a negative way um, Uh two or three starts ago. just in terms of uh it dropping um and, and, and sort of uh dropping sort of sidearmish. Um and then he kind of brought that back up. So maybe uh maybe he did uh change, but it's a little bit more like back to early in the season. So I, I don't know what to do with that, um other than to say that uh his his release point, his vertical release point in any case is uh, lower than last year. Um by about a quarter inch, uh, to a half inch. Um, and so, you know, that's something that people talk about, uh, as a predictor for injury and stuff like that. And you, you, get more velocity also, the more you're sort of over the top. So, um, I don't know that we were completely wrong. Uh, you know, adjustments, adjustment could be a reason he stays in there. And, and, uh, I do think that the, that, that uh that team is the kind of team that was gonna leave Joe Nathan in the role.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I don't think well, <clears throat> I mean this was not like a I mean this was not an intentional change that he made prior to the season. Apparently you know, this is some work he's apparently done on the side. Hope it hope it means something, I guess if you're a Nathan owner. I mean as one who was not want, want to draft Nathan myself, I mean, I continue to I hope that he continues to suck. But um I mean I think it's I guess it's a little encouraging because the Tigers seem to be grasping at straws and reasons for wanting to leave him in the role. But, yeah, I mean, I still think ultimately it may come down to the old person pitching disease kind of thing in in that kind of role. Yeah. Uh, There's been some talk, uh, and we've received questions. We actually talked a bit about him on Tuesday. Uh, Jimmy Nelson, the Brewers have been talking about, uh, uh, according to news reports, they've, they've had some discussion about bringing him up. And Tom Hodgecourt, a beat writer, a uh, longtime beat writer uh, for the uh, covers of Brewers, speculated that that could come as soon as Saturday. Uh, but that you know regardless, it's, uh, I mean it sounds like he is a good possibility after the All-Star break. Now, uh, we talked about a couple of possibilities, uh, but basically, obviously that means that he de- displaces someone. And we talked about that being uh, possibly Marco Estrada before. Does that still look like the guy? And uh, if so, uh, I mean, what, you know, we can um, let's also talk a little bit more about our uh our belief about nelson i, I personally think that the the control problems still long term concern me quite a bit, but the strikeouts are incredibly enticing and and uh strikeouts alone make me always kind of interested
1: yeah well Marco Estrada, I was gonna mention earlier that Homer Bailey has a three point one five u r a over his last thirty days, so um I think some of that regression was already happening and, and a point five two homer per nine so It's actually kind of sad to see him go now because he was finally getting that positive regression. Uh, But then I... Since I had the last 30-day split open, I just dropped Marco Estrada in there. And, ooh, boy. (laughs) A 6.62 ERA, 2.4 homers, 9. And even the strikeout rate's down to 6.88. So, um, you know, I... I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, it's like... um, I, I still think that he's, uh, I'd bet on Estrada before I would bet on uh, Jimmy Nelson. Uh, but the team's doing well, and they need, they need to do something, I guess. Um, and uh, maybe they can find uh, an injury. Um, you know, I the newest thing we have from yesterday is, or from two days ago, is Ron Reinecke saying, uh, we'll see about Estrada's spot in the rotation. So that's not good
0: news. No, it's not. I, I think I mean, I think it's interesting that you say a bit, I, I think, I mean, I could put them on equal ground, I think. I mean, as much as I think that uh, Shrado is probably due some regression, some negative regression, or positive regression to his mean, um, I'm still like, I, I think and as much as I'm skeptical about Nelson, I mean, Nelson has some goods that are helping him to succeed now and I think that he could help, you know, that those might translate at least for uh, the rest of this season, uh, and, and allow him at least to pitch as well. For instance, as Estrada, as a, or at least as well as Estrada could for the rest of the season. I mean, I think it's I think it's possible. I, I think it, I think it's kind of an unclear thing. Uh, I would, I mean, I wouldn't hesitate, for instance, to make the switch from Nelson to Estrada if they if the Brewers do at least in a in a in a mix league, of course, but. And in that only league, uh, I guess there's there's certainly incentive to keep Estrada around just in case.
1: This was always the 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 uh, the risk with Estrada was that you know the 88 mile an hour fastball um, was was gonna was gonna lead to something like this. Uh, he's always had a lot of homers. Um, he he has a decent uh, no, he's never had a decent ground ball rate, and he's always had a big homer rate. I mean, he's 1.5 homers per nine for his career over 500 innings pitch. So, I mean, this is, that's what his stride is normally, uh, or what he's done the last couple seasons, has been to walk in a, uh, an extreme low amount of hitters, um, around 5% for the last two years. And then uh, this year, it's back up to league average, and that's just turned a lot of those homers um, into uh, multi-run homers. I mean, that's that's basically him in a nutshell. So, You know, if he could get it down to even a homer and a half per inning, uh, which would be almost a a homer down from from what he's been doing the last 30 days, uh, he could hold on to that spot. But, um, you know, maybe they – I bet you – you know what I bet? And this is something that I've been listening to. um, uh, Pitchers talk to me about over the last year. I bet they find a phantom DH thing – a DL thing for him. They find a phantom injury. They say, oh, wow, it turns out, actually, that his elbow has been barking. Mm-hmm. and uh, he takes 15 days off, and that allows them to check out Jimmy Nelson without giving um, Estrada's spot to Nelson, um, and uh, allows him to sort of evaluate the situation a little bit longer, allows Estrada to clear his head and go to a bullpen session and say, okay, what I really want to do is, you know, he throws, he's been throwing his curveball a little bit less this year, maybe he's like, what I really want to do is uh, get this curveball to where I can throw it some more. And uh, either harden it up or soften it up or something, and, and it has been harder in the past. So maybe he needs to find that sort of harder curveball uh, to separate it from his change, change out speed. And uh, then that, that either he comes back or he comes back into a bullpen roll or one of their other guys gets hurt. I mean that's pitching, so I, I think that's what would happen.
0: Yeah, I could certainly I could certainly see that, and um, it'll it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. I, I think I think Nelson Warren it's pick up when they call him up uh, i mean in i wouldn't be eager to get him in 12 team mixed leagues but i could certainly understand the fascination because of the strikeouts i think if you're like one of those guys who doesn't have to worry like you you've built such a such a you padded your era and whip um on the strength of maybe some uh guys who are not necessarily high strikeout guys i guess you know all systems go on jimmy nelson for instance but I
1: think he's kind of missing some. You know, he's kind of missing something that I would want. I, I think if if you're a fastball slider guy and you don't have a great changeup, I want you to have great command. Right. Um, so I don't know if we've talked about this before a little bit, but I think Justin Masterson, in his good seasons, uh, you know, people wonder why is he bad some bad, in bad seasons and good good seasons. I think part of it is um, in his in his good seasons where he's feeling super healthy and he's repeating his delivery really well. He has good command and he can keep the sinker out of the happy spots. And his bad seasons, you know, either his lat is bothering him or whatever it is that's bothering him, uh, and he's not repeating that well. Uh, the sinker, you know, and the slider drop into into spots, happy zones for for lefties in particular. So, uh, you know, I think a guy like Pineda, one of the reasons he was making it work before was, you uh, know, a nice home park that helped him suppress some of those homers. Uh, that's also a thing that Masterson has. And, uh, and he also had control, good command. He was in Seattle. Um, So, you know, he doesn't have that, and he also doesn't have that part.
0: Yes, that is definitely true. And uh, what the Cubs do have is they've made a lineup change. This is a very temporary thing. Darwin Barney is to the paternity list. That is going to devastate fantasy owners for a few days. But in the meantime, I like to say fantasy owner. Sorry. That is going to devastate his fantasy (laughs) owner. It's going to devastate his mom. Uh, but in the meantime, Aris Mindy Alcantara has been called up, and uh, this is another player fantasy owners been asking about. Hey, when am I going to see him? Is he worth a pickup, et cetera? I mean, Alcantara is worth a pickup when he's up. This is not necessarily the time, uh, but I mean, he is a middle infielder with some uh, counting stat upside. That's always that should always interest fantasy owners. Obviously, the, the Cubs don't mind getting a, a look at him here, and. Uh, uh, he's an intriguing player I mean, I think that uh for instance, I think we could compare him to say uh a ro Ned odor and tommy Stella, a couple of low end second basemen we talked about here on here in the past uh a
1: little more odor maybe than Stella because um I think he has something in common with odor when they might be kind of two sixty three twenty uh four hundred plus guys where um they have a little bit too much whiff in their game to have a great batting average. They don't really walk a lot, uh, so the OBP won't that won't be that great. But they do have some pop and, and some wheels. So uh, Listella is more of a Matt Carpenter type, maybe. So
0: oh yeah, yeah, I, I, and I don't mean to say that uh, one is like the other in the sense, but just uh, you know, if
1: young second baseman.
0: Yeah, well, no, in the sense like uh, if um, Alcantara is up for good. Uh, you drop a you. you drop a Listella for an Alcantara. Do you drop an Odor for an Alcantara? I actually think. I mean, I think I would take Alcantara over Odor. I kind of like. Uh, yeah. Some of what I've seen from him a little more.
1: Yeah, well, Odor. Let me see. Odor, I think had a, a slightly better contact rates.
0: Yes, that that is probably true.
1: Yeah, he did. He did, and I like I like that a little bit. Um, you know, if, if you get. If you have 22 percent strikeout rate in the minor leagues, like Alcantara's had the uh, the last year year and a half, um, you know that could that could stay at 22. Uh, It's not likely to improve, and uh, it could also go up to like 25 percent. When there, you have a real risk for a 230, 240, 250 batting average. So um, the nice thing with Odor is, you know, he's putting the ball in play right now. 15 percent strikeout rate. Eight percent swinging strike rate, two ninety Babbitt, All that adds up to about a two sixty average, and you know he has upside beyond that because he's shown better power than he's ever than he's showing right now in the past.
0: Yeah, so. I think I think the only reason I was a little more intrigued um, by a cantera, besides he's a, he's a little older, uh, but is also I mean he has a little more power already and uh, and yeah. speed. I think that's, I mean, it's not just in the statistics. I think scouting wise, is is definitely been the case. But uh, there's something to be said for a guy who's had a couple of months plus of experience as well uh, and has, se- has seen a lot of it versus, as you said, an Alcantara who. Uh,
1: as to your first point, he has a job.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Alcantara's yeah. this up for a couple of days. Although, you know, if anybody wants uh, Darwin Barney, they can have him at that bet. <laughs> I had this conversation with him last year around the trade deadline. He said he told me he had no uh, trade value. Um, and I told him that he was one of the best defensive second basemen in the league. Um, and then he questioned my stats. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Darden Barney.
1: Not a, <laughs> not a saberhead. <laughs> and then he called me a nerd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he should be the... Like, he and his agent should be... The exact guy, like they should be uh, pouring over. Oh, yeah.
1: he was laughing about it. He wasn't being negative. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it is, it is, uh, it is in his favor. So that's why he was listening.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, uh, I think it's interesting that it's it's a little telling, perhaps, but uh, it's interesting that the Red Sox have DFA'd uh, AJ Brzezinski. Uh, called up. Christian Vasquez to replace him I mean pretty much there's no other reason uh, there's no reason to play David Ross instead of Vasquez at this point um, the Red Sox I mean this seems to suggest that the Red Sox are mailing it in um, I think I think part of it may be okay the Red Sox, DFA, Prezinski that pretty much indicates that they're willing to trade him, they don't really care what they get for him as long as they get something for him Uh, and I guess the sooner they do it, the sooner he can learn a pitching staff or something like that, wherever he goes. So in essence, maybe they're kind of doing him a favor also, maybe there's something to that, but ultimately, I mean, he hasn't produced, uh, well, offensively or anything like that. He's, he may be his replacement level. Uh, I'd have to check on that, but, uh, what does this, does this tell you, I mean, to me, it says Red Sox mailing it in a number of their pitchers, for instance, are potentially on the block.
1: Well, you know, there's news that Molina's hurt um, in St. Louis, and there was already news that they were interested in Jake Peavy. Uh, we talked about that last week uh, on Tuesday. So, um, pretty pretty easy connection there to 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 make uh, for the Cardinals and the Red Sox. And the
0: Cardinals did say that they they are actually probably more interested in offensive help than pitching help.
1: Um. So, so there you go. I mean, maybe they'll just link up on Przinsky instead of Peavy. But um, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to own Przinsky. I have zero shares, I had zero interest going into the season. He's, he's old, and he was leaving uh, that hitters park that helped him out so much. And uh, he's never been my favorite in terms of uh, offensive profile, anyway. Um, kind of like. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who puts the ball in play a lot and has a good contact rate and could therefore have a good batting average, but is also a catcher and is not going to be legging out any infield hits. Um, so I, I, I kind of just uh, have stayed away from him. I don't, I mean, I I must have owned him at least once, but I, I doubt that I did actually.
0: Yeah, I can, I, I can understand that. I mean, I think he's he's always, other than a couple of seasons there when it seemed like the fade was in effect there in 2010, 11. Um, I mean, he's always been, he's always put up respectable numbers. I mean, seven, eight seasons of double digit home runs. I mean, something, a little bit to be said for that. But he's always been a low end mixed league catcher, kind of a, you know, a, uh, I'll settle for that as my number two catcher in a mixed league. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, it may not be to my credit, uh, but I I would always uh, opt for a younger catcher that maybe had more upside. Um, And it may not be to my credit because, You know, I did do the Norris and Conger uh, route in AL Labor this year, and, like, you know, it's working out okay, but, you know, if I had bought uh, some sort of Steady Eddie, and not Brzezinski, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) um, I might have more plate appearances. So uh, there is something to be said for for relying on guys like that. I mean, yeah, next on our list is kind of been, it it kind of illustrates the the pitfalls of, of... my philosophy, which is, I think I've owned Nolan Rymold like fifteen times, <laughs> and uh, you know that wasn't that hasn't worked for me yet. And if I just bought, I don't know who the the outfield you know the, you know, the outfield AJ Przinsky is instead of all those Nolan Rymolds, um, I would have a lot more plate appearances by now. I mean, Nolan Rymold is maybe like David Murphy. He's thirty years old. Oh, he's actually managed ten a uh, thousand uh, plate appearances, but it's a thousand plate appearances over one, two, three, four, five, six major league seasons. So, <laughs> so every year I pick, uh, I pick up Nolan Reimold, I get about two hundred plate appearances on average.
0: Yeah, and really, uh, I mean, 2000, 2010 and two thousand eleven, or, or I'm sorry, two thousand nine and two thousand eleven, are basically uh, the last time you he, he truly gave Did anything, anything of, of any value to fantasy owners yeah
1: um,
0: and it's totally understandable I remember I mean I remember writing about Reimold years ago and saying like that this was kind of a before that 2009 sleep, uh, season saying that he was a sleeper or something because the only problem that he's really had in his history I think at the time he was maybe 27 um, no he's like 25 and the, and the real issue for him was health uh, prior to that and that he and had some real hitting skill and of course he stayed healthy that year but uh, I also wanted no part of, in him the next year because I thought, well, he's he had so many different types of injuries that uh, I wasn't really convinced that that would continue. And sure enough, ever since then, he's been like – I, I owned him in one season, and uh, I don't remember which league it was, but it was that season, uh, that first season, and that was kind of nice. But uh,
1: I think I did too, and that must be why I kept going back to the well. And plus, I'm you know I'm a little bit Billy Bean esque in that sometimes I'll take shots at injury guys just because I think, well, I can put him on my DL and then and, and go looking for something on the waiver wire while while he's sitting on the DL. But this guy sat on the DL like no <laughs> business.
0: It's certainly worth as long as I mean as long as he's and he was after you know after the first couple of people get tired of him, and, he's, and he is that like he's he was worth that reserve pick in AL lever again this year. I mean he's twenty.
1: He was my reserve. He's thirty. A labor last year. Yeah,
0: and, and like as a last reserve pick, I think he's worth it because, if like you said, I mean, it's that if he does stay healthy, I mean, there's there's a potential ten to fifteen home runs waiting for you, and it was free.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. certainly. I, I, I actually wish I had him now, and you know, in any other year, I would have had him. And I do <laughs> actually, right now, as we speak, own two shares of Nolan Rival.
0: <laughs> See, so all is not lost. Some days his
1: lottery ticket will come in. And in the meantime, of course, he's lost all his speed. So you can't even add that sort of five to six to seven stolen bases you could add in three years ago. Um, So now you're just talking about please hit over 250 (laughs) and uh, have an ISO over 200, please. Yes, but that's certainly
0: possible. And because Edwin on is out for an indeterminate length, but quite likely, uh, I mean, it's going to be at least, you know, three to four, four to six weeks, somewhere in there. Uh, Reimold is going to play, and Juan Francisco is probably going to play a little bit too, but uh, Reimold, I mean, the Jays are kind of hurting in the outfield, and uh, between outfield and DH at bats, uh, he has a chance, at least until uh, he strains an oblique next week, right after after the All-Star break.
1: Just remember, never play Juan Francisco against the lefty.
0: (laughs) That is true. Remember that. Uh, and, and yeah, there's really nothing else to say about Rymo. I mean, he he is what he is, and uh, you take it while you can get it. Uh, do you take what you can get? What this is an interesting move, Texas. I mean, they they have obviously mailed it in, but uh, they called up Jake Smolinski. Michael Choice is uh, on the farm now. Smolinski's been getting a little playing time, and he is he's five for ten, and has driven in a run. He's also struck out in three of his ten plate appearances. But uh, is there any anything of intrigue here? I mean, I don't see – I see a little bit of power, uh, maybe a little bit of speed. I mean, maybe – so maybe this is another kind of David Murphy type who walks a little bit. Uh, Does he appeal to you in in an AO only
1: league? Yeah, you know what's weird about him is that he's – he might be one of these better-in-real-life guys because he's always had a double-digit walk rate in the minor leagues. He's always had a better-than-average strikeout rate. And yet, despite having around-average – or he doesn't have no power. I mean somewhere somewhere between average and less than average power and having this better than average strikeout rate. He's never had a good batting average. In fact, he's never hit well, since A-ball. He has not hit 300. In fact, he's only hit 280 once. So, I mean there's just no way you can project him into a good batting average. So, the last two years has been around 260 uh for the Rangers and the Marlins. Um and uh you know i i think that probably scares some people off like why can't even hit for good average in the minor leagues um you know he's a righty so there's the 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 outside chance that there's a platoon issue here and he can only really hit lefties uh, that's something to watch especially how they use him if they they could bring him up and play him every day or they could play him against lefties in case they found a guy uh that they want to put on their bench to play against lefties next year so um i think uh you know, I may go try and get him in labor just because I need a warm body at this point. But, um, I doubt he's a a good play in mixed leagues. I doubt he's a good play. And even in 18 team mixed leagues, uh, maybe once you start getting to 20, you can start, you know, those are warm body leagues anyway. And he's either gone or he's up for your next FAAB and, uh, just don't spend too much money on him. I mean, you know, he, he has some swing and miss in his game. And if it's not an OBP league, you're not going to benefit from a good batting average. And, he doesn't have the kind of speed where a, a new team is going to be like, yeah, you got the green light, buddy. <laughs> so now you're looking at uh, – I mean, the Zip's rest of the season is two homers, two stolen bases, and a two thirty seven average. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I – definitely not uh, – nothing to get excited about. But, uh, I mean, I think because of this uh, – I think there's something to be said a little bit for this guy who is um, – yeah, who, if he's better in real life and he continues to get the playing time, kind of thing. If uh, I mean he, that he could hit 240, 250, uh, and, and not really see much of a drop off from his minor league numbers. It's not to say that they'll be great, but a low end AL only commodity that you didn't spend a lot of money on. If you throw two bucks at one or two bucks at the guy, and it and it turns out like, I mean, you're not going to be thanking your thanking the stars, but it's you know it's a warm it's a <clears throat> he could turn out to be a decent warm body. Yeah, true. But uh, I mean, yeah, again, you're, you're not you're not betting a lot on it. I mean, I think uh, certainly not anything to be uh, overly intrigued about. I did. I mean, he his splits in the minors I notice. I mean, they're not they're not real different uh, in terms of either indicators of so the strike the strikeout rate and the walk rate, and then uh, also even the batted ball stuff. Uh, so I mean, it's. He's a little bit. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe he's kind of like a Daniel Nava or somebody like that, where he just he succeeds for a little while, but it's not like he has some some overarching great ability or anything like that. But not uh, certainly not worth spending any more time on. I've already spent too much time on it, so we're going to move on to some requested some requested stuff. And and first we want to talk a little bit of fantasy baseball strategy. And I think that this is, this is a question that comes up all the time for some owner that has never really tried this every year, or for some that has maybe tried it and it doesn't work. And you see someone else successful with it for whatever the reason. Uh, And this is not something I've done uh, typically uh, until it's been in the middle of a season. And I've been forced to, to see what I can uh, scrap from the season. But uh, basically one reader, listener, Follower wants to know is throwing a category or most of us refer to as punting a category. Is that worth it? Uh, can that get you a, a fantasy championship? You know, have you ever done this yourself?
1: No, no. Oh, maybe on a very limited basis uh, in head to head leagues. I have done some, uh, I've done some work with, uh, starting pitchers and relieving pitchers where maybe, um, I will uh, stream starters if my if my relief core um, ended up being strong, um, and uh, and I think it, just in general, it's a lot more doable in um, in head to head leagues where you know just the math of it works out better. If you've got you know eleven categories, ten categories, um, or five if you've got five pitching categories and you stream and you go for uh, wins and strikeouts um, while uh, thinking that your ERA and WHIP will be bolstered by, um, you'll, that you'll be able to win ERA or WHIP based on your relief core. Uh, that's an interesting uh, strategy. I think it works a little bit better um, if you focus on getting relievers and starting spots, um, and then you try to win saves, ERA, and WHIP, and you let uh, Ks and wins go. Because uh, then you're that way. You can really dominate, especially if you find a couple closers that are uh, starting pitching eligible. So if you had Henry Mejia, um, you know, along with four really good closers, now you're going to win saves most, like, almost every week, uh, because you'll have two more closers than everybody, um, and uh, you should have better ERAs and WHIPs as long as they don't blow up. So um, th- that kind of strategy works in head-to-head, but you know, when it comes to Roto, I really just don't ever. I I don't do it. The the closest I'll get is, say, uh, when it comes to like speed or whatever, I'm going to draft guys that have a little bit of speed. I'm going to draft guys at the very beginning that are five-category guys that have homers and speed. And I I very rarely draft guys that are speed only. Um, So in a way, you say I guess I'm punting speed. But I'm not punting speed. It's something I think about. I just think it's something that I will try to find on the waiver later, or I'll just try to get a middle-of-the-pack number in speed, but do better in all the other categories. So, um, that's not quite, it's not quite what I hear in the question. I would never try to fully punt in, in Roto. I think it's almost impossible to win if you fully punt a, a category.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I tend to agree. It's, it's the, the points you make about head to head are definitely interesting. And I agree with, I agree with a lot of that. I think that, uh, when it comes to pitching, that's typically a strategy. I've, I've very, I haven't played in a head to head league in, several years uh, but that it's uh, that's, I think that that's that kind of t- type of strategy to, to go for high end relievers and kind of pad your or lay a strong foundation in the ERA and the WIP um, and, and then if you have the opportunity if you're allowed to stream starting pitchers depending on how deep the league is if it's a shallow league especially it's so easy to stream quality starters and the, I mean that just it kind of negates the value of of uh, quality starting pitchers to some degree um, but, uh, and I've, uh, it's kind of been this, uh, a little bit of a, an assumption that, uh, that hitters who hit for power and things like that tend to be a little more consistent than base dealers. Base dealers need to get on base to steal bases. And so, I mean, I've, I've seen people in head to head leagues punt stolen bases, uh, more so and try to win those other categories a little more frequently. Yeah. Um, I
1: mean, I guess the, the thing is it's like sort of a co, uh, co relationship thing. If you, um, like I said with the sort of reliever starter thing where, like, you, you try to you just give up wins and Ks because they're, that's what starters will give you, and you try to go after the reliever stats. On the hitting side, you, um, I mean, it is, in a general thing, there is st- stolen bases and runs are linked to each other because, uh, for the most part, teams are still built with stolen base guys at the top of the lineup, um, and uh, so, therefore, they'll get more runs. Uh, but there are just a lot of middle of the guy order uh, guys that have a lot of runs, too. So um, if you've got a lot of three-four hitters, you could get a lot of runs, RBI, homers. And if you did decent in batting average, if you got some good strikeout rate uh, sluggers, uh, you could do decent in batting average and therefore have a really nice four-category team and then not worry about stolen bases. It's true. But. Um, uh, I do find myself light on runs sometimes when I do this. When I do the strategy of sort of generally not drafting for speed. Um, I do find myself hurting on runs a little bit sometimes, and it's not something I think about a lot on draft day. Um, and I find runs in RBI very hard to predict. Um, so uh, uh, sometimes I, I'll look up and say, well, this team looks great to me. I don't know why I'm down on runs in RBI.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because uh, I'm typically – uh, light in stolen bases, and uh, I find the opposite problem still. Like I'm, I'm frequently, I think more so than any other category, I'm usually highly competitive in the runs category. I'm in, in taut wars. I'm in second in runs, and that's just right now. But like typically, that's I, I've just always, and I've never really thought about the league,
1: it. The deeper the league, the better you might be at projecting who's going to uh, get a regular role. Yeah, that that could that's be it. I- a little bit you know if it's a deep league you're, you're talking about having starters at every position and no guy that's getting platooned and you you did a good job of spotting who's gonna you know start and stay in their role all year that could that could be it
0: I mean I've never looked at it or thought about it so but I know that runs is a category I've frequently done well in like even in my 12 team mixed leagues uh, a lot of them I did for work in previous roles and stuff like that like I just uh, at least that's that's my impression, but I know that that was always a category that I, that I seemed to do well in. Um, but stolen bases I did occasionally do well in, so it's not like I completely punted that or anything. I, I typically take the same approach you do in a sense like I spread it out because – well, there are just – there are so many things. Like, for instance, we talked about how accurate projections can be and things like that. But if you punt, I mean, you don't allow yourself to take advantage of the unknowns as well. Um yeah. Because there are, you know, just as just as much as you're drafting for knowns, uh, or what you conceive that's to be knowns. A good point. Yes. What you conceive to be knowns. There's also unknowns that you don't expect. And like, for instance, like Jason Kipnis stealing thirty bases. I mean, it wouldn't have said that right away. But um, that certainly is. That's. I mean, that's that's cool. But then if you drafted no other guys who steal bases, then that kind of is irrelevant to you. And
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just. It's a- it's a risk mitigation question. Right. You you're, you're 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 you think you're going for a, a smaller piece of the pie, and you think that you can dominate that piece of the pie and therefore uh, win. But uh, that does mean that yes, random stolen bases are less uh, useful to you uh, because you did you didn't need them at all, and it also means that you know you're 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 walking a thinner line. Right. I mean, like for example, if I do the all reliever strategy. And then I get hit by that. Oh, crap. I bought the two veteran relievers that everyone thought was going to close all year and ended up either going down to the knife or, or actually losing their role, you know? And then you're like, oh, man, my reliever strategy busted out. Now I have no starters. So in general, I like to go into every draft thinking this is going to be a balanced team. Um, if there's any bias I have, is slightly away from stolen bases um, and, uh, and slightly away from relievers. I, I find I can find those things over the course of the year.
0: I think it's it's easier to it's much easier I would say to execute a punt strategy in an auction than it is in a draft anyway because I mean you have the opportunity to buy the guys that specifically meet your criteria but yes. then yeah. you do limit yourself because then um, as you said I mean you you need to be right about most of your guys and not I mean you need to dominate if you don't dominate those categories you are probably in deep trouble but. Uh, in, in a draft, I think, I think it's pretty, especially in a mixed league. But in a draft period, it's 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 pretty unwise, I think, to to try to punt because. I mean, you could be faced with, uh, you may have a guy who's a pretty good value, but you know, part of his pretty good value is that he's a guy who steals twenty or twenty five uh, bases, and you're like, well, that doesn't fit my strategy at all, and so I have to take. I love coming back to David Murphy. <laughs> I had to take Sometimes. David Murphy because, like, he's the next best option that doesn't fit my strategy, or something like that. Like,
1: right, 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 right. right. Like,
0: yeah, I mean, it's you're you're sense. you start to make trade offs that that are just really uh, not sensible.
1: Yeah, yeah, makes sense.
0: So there are a number of ways to look at it. Obviously, there's, it's, you're, you're just you're trying to, uh, you, like, like you know said, you're walking a thinner line, and in a, a something that's some of it is art uh more so than it is science or and that it's i mean it's uh if if you knew all these guys were going to be awesome then uh it would also take some of the fun out of it (laughs) (laughs) and uh want to talk a little bit we have a couple of orioles here on the, the ledger and we'll begin with chris davis who seems to show seems to have been showing signs that he's kind of coming out of his offensive funk uh with a very low batting average this year but uh one listener wanted to know is this you know is this the kind of regression we could expect? Is this still kind of carryover from the oblique injury? Uh, does he just stink now? What is it, what is the problem with Chris Davis? I mean I d I don't really see a problem with with Davis myself. Um, I mean a lot of things and I think I've answered the question like this before for I don't know remember if it was in the chat or what, but that to me I don't I don't really see a problem um, other other than the two oh five batting average.
1: <laughs> I mean
0: but like I mean, it could just as easily see uh, you know, a, a, a second half where he hits uh, 280 to 300 and the average ends up at around 250 or 260 is, is entirely possible and I would say even likely to me. Um,
1: uh, well, to me, I, I think uh, I, I never saw him as a 286 hitter as he was last year. Yeah. And I, and I believe in the sort of 266, 270 numbers he had the two years before. Same I mean, he, he strikes out 30% of the time. It's it's uh, not rocket science. And so, um, you know, I guess I would say his low batting average on balls in play right now and his low power numbers are both linked. There probably is some part of that that's injury, but he's about to get uh, at least some time off during the all-star break. Um, he's putting more time between him and his injury, and even in this half season, he's managed 14 homers. So I think uh, at the very least you give him another 15 to 16 homers in the second half and uh, and then you have to assume that there's upside beyond that because he's gonna be healthier he's gonna play more um, and uh, he's gonna put more time between yeah like I said put more time between him and his injuries so uh, I think you know I think your baseline for the rest of the season is um, a 250 average with, with 16 15 16 homers you know maybe he ends up at 2:30 for the season if he gets a little hot, does that 280 thing that he did last year um and, and gets you closer to 250 for the season um either way i don't think he's going to hit much more than 35 homers for the season uh there's still a lot of homers left in his bat for the rest of the season and if if you if you're and i what i said about punting is like if your batting average is bad now it's not going to get that much better over the rest of the season so if that's what you mean by punting then yes i do believe in sort of Marshaling resources towards the categories that you can make you can make differences in. Uh, that's a little bit different, I think, than punting. So, yeah. uh, you know, if we're talking season and your batting average is 10 uh, out of twelve, and there's like twenty points between you and the next guy down, and there's twenty and there's fifty points between you and you know and three points above you or something, you know. Like, anyway, there's big gaps around you. Uh, you have a lot of room to play with. Then, then you just know you get. More points in homers than you can lose in batting average. That's what you got to look at. Um, and in that case, uh, Chris Davis would be a perfect buy low for you.
0: Yeah, and I think what your point uh, or the way you summed it up probably captures it a lot better. What I was trying to say, in a sense, that, like I, I, I think that uh, I mean you're continuing to see. You, I mean, you should see some correction, some improved performance. And I think two eighty to three hundred is possible in the second half. But like when you when you talk about uh, positive regression, for instance, like I mean, it's just. Basically, that means the guy is just he's a good bet to to do what he typically does for the rest of the season and not so much like to make up for it so that he ends up where he typically does for the rest of the season. And so, yeah, maybe he, he hits 250 and like you said, 15 home runs and that's 15, you know, maybe 15, 16 could end up 20 that kind of but like. It'll, it'll, those are still pretty good numbers. Uh, it's just, I mean, if you drafted him in the first round, like I, I like I saw quite a bit, or maybe he slipped to the second round in some leagues. Uh, but if if you ended up with him there, I mean, it was just too risky for me. I have no shares. Uh, never even came close to having any. And it was for these types of reasons. The injury obviously plays a little bit of a factor here, but...
1: Strikeout
0: rate. Yeah, the, the strikeout rate was just much too... I mean, I, I understand, I can appreciate the power is... "Quote unquote" for real, but um, <laughs> the the power can only take you so far when you strike out that often. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's a quick uh, kind of going along with uh, the punting thing. Uh, I mean, it's we've seen fansingers. Larry Schechter was kind of a proponent. And he did that. He was a guest on the show several weeks ago, and he played the kind of a punt batting average play. Um, in a sense, in essence, he he kind of did that. But it wasn't like he purely. Punted it, but he went after just guys who tend to strike out a lot and hit a lot of home runs and uh, and stolen base, you know, things like that. Like that was, he focused strictly on the counting stuff for for hitting got for the hitting categories and said, let the batting average gods slot me where I may fall. And he kind of blew everyone away in the in those categories because he bought a uh, bought all pretty pretty decent secure playing time at those spots. And the, and some of that is luck because, well. Kind of viewed his look. I mean, he, I think he. I think Chris Davis is the one he bought. I'm not. If I'm not. No, no, no. Actually, that was Colton and the Wolfman. My mistake. But he bought players who ended up having better years than expected, a little bit in batting average. I mean, he he made some of the right buys too, and yeah. and and a lot of that goes into it. I mean, if you make some good buys, any cat, you know, if if you buy guys coming off the right type of season, um, any strategy is going to look and work a little better. <laughs>
1: yeah, all
0: right. um, but um, there there's certainly a number of ways you can play it. I don't advise, uh, you know. Punting ERA, <laughs> not a good strategy. <clears throat> uh, Manny Machado, also Orioles teammate. Manny Machado, uh, I'm not really sure even what we should be concerned about Machado. I think this is all. I mean, up until recently, uh, you can't be disappointed with what he's done recently. But I, I think this is just this was par for the course because he was dealing with a semi-serious knee injury, and this was this was pretty likely to affect his performance even after he returned. Uh, now we're probably seeing a healthy Manny Machado. And so I guess if you had an opportunity and you bought low on him, good for you. But um, I think this is the reason I wasn't a buyer on Machado coming into the season is that I would have to spend a good month, two months, three months dealing with uh, a mal uh, malappropriate, mal- whatever you want to call it, Machado, a, a, an injury-affected Machado in the first half.
1: Yeah, I guess the, the, if we're getting if we're getting questions about him, it's mostly about uh, what I've seen in chats and stuff. Is that um, on a tear right now? Um, he's just he's hit like five homers in the last week and a half or something. And um, you know, is that are we seeing some sort of power breakout? I mean, people said coming up that he always had uh, power, and I think I have to kind of defer to uh, to scouts a little bit because. As a 22 year old, he was always really uh, lo- he was always really young for his level. So uh, in Double A, he had a 172 ISO and 11 homers and 450 plate appearances. Well, in Double A, uh, he was 20 years old, uh, so he's at least a year or two younger than most of the people around him. Um, and uh, I think that uh, that's that's it makes it hard for me to just look at those numbers and say, well, you know, uh, he's going to be better than that. Um, so, you know, I guess he could he could at least uh, approach a 200 ISO sometime this year, next year. Uh, he's pre-peak. I mean, he's he's uh, 22 now. So, um, you know, he's definitely pre-power peak. So whatever you've seen from him in the past, you can expect to see slightly better uh, over the next three, four, five years. And, um, you know, I think that probably means that his peak is something like um, a 275 to 280 average and 25 homers one year.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, we've talked about Machado uh, in, in a couple of months ago, maybe, and just talked about the you know the possibilities down the road. And this is the kind of thing that we talked about: is that there's some projectability there, but uh, there's obviously some some potential flaws in his game. It's really hard to see exactly where this is going to end up because a lot of it is like he was he was in essence uh, a non-college player who was almost fast track to the majors and his talent alone is what got him there. And largely it was his defense, but also projectable hitting ability. So it's really hard to say where that's going to end up, but, uh, I mean, it's promising, but let's not say, well, it's going to, you know, it's going to explode. And this is a 40 home run hitter in three or four or five years because it's been, it's been pretty good and it continues to get better. Like it doesn't work that way, but
1: right. I, right. No, no. Uh, the doubles don't always turn into homers right. and uh, for what it's worth, there is, he's still got that old fall that I keep talking about. He still hits the infield fly balls and I don't know, uh, that, that is reasonably sticky. Um, so I, you know, it's, it, it, it would be better to look, I think I'd rather our, 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 um, leaderboards had pop-up percentage, which is the infield fly ball times fly ball, rate, Uh, would, because that's a little bit stickier. Um, and uh, maybe it isn't that big of a problem because he doesn't hit a lot of fly balls. So whatever infield fly balls he hits look worse against his low fly ball rate. Um, so maybe I'm over overstating that. But uh, as it looks right now, it's uh, well above average. And I wouldn't be surprised if he still had it. Because his, his, his batting average balls in play for his career, uh, 312, for a guy with his line drive rate for his career, um, uh, I don't know. I, you know, his strikeout rate, I, I, I wonder why he never hit, uh, above 276 in the minors. So that's, that's my reason, um, to wonder his peak batting average of 300 or if it would be 300 if probably 275, 280.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's fair to wonder, uh, cause even though, I mean, I mean, like, as you pointed out when we talked about, like, he's, he's young for, he was young for his levels, but, uh, there may be something inherent in his swing or something like that, that is just always going to be, unless he has some kind of, mechanical change or something like that, that helps him changes his swing plane or something like that. And maybe this is kind of the ceiling that we're stuck with.
1: Yeah. Maybe if he gets bigger, he starts hitting them harder and, and, and the, you know, turns some, uh, some singles into doubles and turns, uh, you know, some outs in the infield into line drives to the outfield. So, um, you know, there's, uh, <clears throat> there's definitely some physical projectability left there. And, um, You know, I think the time to buy is gone, Um, you know, in terms of uh, in Dynasty Leagues, his owners are probably super happy about him again.
0: Yeah. And uh, just that's a memo to Machado. Uh, Please start subscribing to steroid regimens. (laughs) Curtis Granderson Curtis Granderson has kind of rebounded from a very poor start to the season Uh, is actually his strikeout rate is down a bit, too, and walk rate is up. Uh, I mean, all that's kind of encouraging, but he's up to uh, two thirty-seven average and has hit fourteen home runs now in his uh, approaching four hundred plate appearances. Uh, at this at this point, I mean, I think Granderson is what he is. He's a low average hitter, uh, and uh, certainly still has some power left. What what do we see going forward from Granderson? He is thirty-two years old, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see. It's nice to see him uh, improve that strikeout rate because, you know, between um, the injury and the bad year in 2012, in terms of strikeout rate, it was hard to know if his true talent strikeout rate this year was going to be 28 percent or closer to his 23 percent career. And it's nice to see him get it back to the 23 percent. That means that even with uh, some decline in his bad speed and <clears throat> some age related decline over the next couple of years. We should probably project him from between 23 to 26 percent strikeout rates uh, going forward, and that means he can uh, at least keep the average around 230, 240 instead of um, you know getting some real uh, Adam Dunn type seasons. Although he's he's kind of he's kind of Adam Dunn esque anyway. Um, you know, it's not not in terms of sort of athleticism. He's a, you know obviously a better defender uh, <laughs> and uh, and runs better and so on, but. Um, He's definitely a big, a big walk, big strikeout guy, um, and um, you know, for what it's worth, uh, he's he's uh, he's definitely uh, his batting average on balls in play has had some some poor seasons in the last uh, three out of the last four out of the last five seasons has been below three hundred. Um, so, uh, I think he's. Uh, I, I don't think that he's ever going to hit much better than 240. I wouldn't predict him for much better than 240 going forward this season. So he's just really hard for me to own in, in any league that I'm not, uh, punting batting average.
0: Yeah, I totally understand that. I mean, I think zips rest of the season is pretty, pretty well on point with the, the two thirty seven and nine home runs. Um, I mean, it sounds like it's, you know, ends up a good, uh, about what I would think you could expect to, and it, maybe a few more, maybe a couple more home runs, but, uh, I mean, it seems to be he's about on point, um, and is not, not especially dazzling anymore now that he's not cranking out, thirty some, forty some uh, in Yankee Stadium. David Peralta has picked up some playing time with the Diamondbacks, just like into has. I hope I said that guy's name right, but uh, David Peralta is a lot easier to say. I don't I'm
1: think. i gonna try. <laughs> uh,
0: and. and... I don't think I don't I don't know that Peralta is necessarily as exciting, uh, but uh, has been pretty steady for the D-backs. And uh, part of the issue here is going to be that the playing time is going to go away fairly soon. I mean, Mark Trumbo could be back as soon as I think this Saturday or I'm sorry, this Friday. Um, Don't know that the the D-backs need to rush him back uh, or want to, but uh, they've talked. Wow,
1: there's got to be some backstory here. I wonder what David Peralta's backstory is. Uh, he's 26 years old, yeah, and there's a six-year gap between Cardinals rookie ball and High A for the Diamondbacks.
0: Uh, there's car wash or grocery store in there somewhere, certainly. Really? Um, yeah, I'm just speculating. Has to be. <laughs> uh, I mean, I
1: figured maybe he went to Japan or something, but that would don't... seem to be
0: awfully young to go to Japan and give up on a yeah, major league you know, dream so early
1: flame out a little bit before you do that yeah and he never he never got a plate appearance with cardinals in rookie ball maybe that's um maybe that's like a leaderboard or, or some sort of mistake um and I, i'm not gonna, i'm not gonna say anything here because i don't want to say anything stupid uh, i will say that uh, his minor league stats are all pumped up by the fact that he was 26 right um and so he's like a very low ceiling guy in terms of uh you know age prospect pedigree that sort of deal um not a lot of not a lot of power big inflated Babbitt right now um I don't know it doesn't doesn't uh doesn't scream uh need to go get him um and you know between him and in the other guy <laughs> in the uh, or something Ender I like Ender um, yeah. yeah I guess it'll come down to uh who's the better defender maybe who might stick around to be uh part time defender uh, when everyone's healthy. Um, and for my guess, it's uh, Ender Inciarte because Inciarte was up first yeah, um, and was playing defense in, in center field before the other guy. Yeah. And, and I mean, Pralta, just, he has the look of
0: when everyone's healthy, he has the look of when everyone's healthy, he's a fourth or fifth outfielder type based on the limited production we can see from him. So, I mean, this is, I mean, it's an NL only, use him while you, you, you Warm body, why you can get him above average warm body, perhaps. I would
1: say, though, you know, it does look like uh, David Peralta has a little bit more offensive upside um, than Enciarte. So uh, if they go into sort of rebuild mode, um, maybe they uh, find a way to play Peralta and Enciarte in center or something. Um, And, uh, you know, let's see. Uh, Peralta's a lefty. You now they're both lefties, but you know, they could find some sort of way to rotate them both in to see what they've got for next year.
0: It certainly um, isn't it certainly isn't likely that Cody Ross is going to start taking the playing time from them.
1: Right. <laughs> and and uh, if that is what happens, the Torpedoes both of their fantasy values so you know.
0: I mean it's well, I mean I I, I guess it kind of looks like it, it kind of I think it goes with uh what you view as offensive upside. I mean, NDR, uh, NCRT, I think probably has, uh, well, I will say actually Peralta has a better chance of getting on, on base, it looks like, from the limited stuff we've seen. He has a, a better ability to get on base. But, uh, I mean, NCRT has a better chance of contributing in an accounting category that can be significant in stolen bases. I mean, that that could be if you're in an NL league and you hopped on NCRT, and it turns out that he gets the playing time. That could be like a little bit of a, a Jared Dyson type help for you in an only league for the rest of the season. Not to say that he's quite as good as Dyson, but um, that when he plays, he's going to run a little bit. Moving to Seattle and James Jones, another guy who's uh, at least statistically has kind of performed more so of a like a like a rabbit uh, stolen base maven. Um, interesting player uh, has put up some decent numbers in the minor leagues and has. Uh, at this point, we're not talking about the Raiders' wide receiver, just in case anybody's <laughs> curious. Uh, he doesn't have His hands are better than James Jones's other Raiders. Nice. Uh, but uh, he's, in general, hit for a decent batting average, has, has taken some walks. I mean, he is, I think he's a legitimate stolen base contributor in the sense that he is going to get on base and give you those opportunities and not probably hurt you. Where the batting average is going to sit, uh, regularly, I'm not quite sure, but I mean, it's a player I would like, uh, I mean, I'd be kind of happy to own for the rest of the season. I'm also disappointed. I put in on a couple of occasions in top mix, league, uh, put in some bits for him, uh, one or two weeks in a row and they were really kind of, uh, backup bids. And I wish I had gone after him harder after looking, uh, more into him once I did. So, so, uh,
1: yeah, I, you know, in my defense, I guess I was worried that the strikeout rate would be pretty high, um, and uh, never, he never, didn't really have much prospect pedigree, and I, and I had some love for Abraham Almonte, so I was worried that Almonte might come back and take his job, um, so, you know, that's at least my excuse. Uh, <laughs> they look flimsy in retrospect, and I think at this point, I'm actually uh, a little bit more uh, bullish on him than the... Um, rest of season projections just because uh you know zips has them striking out 26 percent of the time i think they zips is reaching too far back in his minor league history um if you look at 2013 and 2014 james jones has struck out less than 18 percent of the time that lines up with what he's doing right now his swing strike rate lines up with what he's doing right now so um you know you, you can look at that 340 bab and say it's inflated but um uh, you know he has a 22% line drive rate. He hits the ball on the ground, and he's super speedy. I mean, his 17 stolen bases, one caught stealing—that's really nice. I mean, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's really nice. So, you know, it's not you know Billy Hamilton's 60, 70 stolen bases, but the, the, the success rate is really nice. So um, I think he'll continue to steal. I think he'll continue to hold on to that job. I think he'll continue to hit above 270 uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. a little bit of a guesswork here, but you know, there's some power upside left in him and I much prefer steamers rest of season strikeout rate, which is 19 and a half. And in fact, I think he can do better than that. So I'll give him about a 260 270 average at worst going forward myself. Um, uh, another 15 to 20 stolen bases. Um, that'll give him a season of over 275 batting average, over 30 stolen bases, almost 40. Um, and it won't matter, uh, that he only hit his home or two. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. and I think that uh, is—I think that's mixed league worthy. I've actually got him on my bench in some mixed leagues, and I'm plugging and playing him, not playing him against lefties, and uh, and playing him wherever I can steal a stolen base or two.
0: Yeah, I I like the player now. Um, this this uh, I I kind of when I look at him when I first saw him like I saw him hit in spring training. I've seen several Mariners games, watch him. He kind of looks like to me. I mean, he's way bigger, uh, but it's like a really big version. He looks to me like when he hits, like he's a really big version of Juan Pierre. <laughs> um, and, and he also takes walks, uh, or at least he did in the minor leagues, and he hasn't done that yet in the majors. So I think that that's, you know, it's still possible that that's part of his game that kind of works in there, but.
1: I, and, you know, he had minor league, he had some power in the minor leagues. So, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, even though the the slapping on the ball thing is definitely PR-esque and the no homers right now is PRS. I mean, he had 14 homers in, in, in high A. Uh, he never had an ISO below 138. So um, I think there might be a little more on the way, at least a couple yeah. more doubles and triples. And
0: Yeah, and I, I don't mean to say, like, I think he's going to end up like Juan Pierre. I mean, I think, like, it's like he could offer and maybe not quite the same kind of stolen base totals that Pierre did in uh, his peak seasons. But in the sense, like, he's – it's like he's a big – Version of a Wampier that can do a little more. Like he's not just going to end up being this one-trick pony that is kind of uh, just hangs. Uh, he he is he's an intriguing player with a little bit of uh, a little bit of well-rounded game, in addition to the fact that he can run. Uh, he is he's an intriguing player. It's Maybe like uh, I mean, Dexter Fowler is kind of a similar uh, build, and I think maybe that kind of thing without the injury problems uh, eventually. Yeah, uh, but uh, maybe
1: more steals.
0: Yeah, more steals and maybe a little less power, but just – he's he's an intriguing player. Before we think, before we head out, I want to talk about a couple of other uh, players. Uh, Robert Refsnyder is one of them. Um, just because the Yankees, I mean, it, it's kind of – I guess it's going to be kind of interesting to see what they decide about their rest of season uh, abilities here as far as their playoff chances and things like that. But he's uh, snyder has been mentioned as a possibility of being called up sometime, uh, at least after the break. And uh, he's, he's an interesting player as far as his minor league numbers go. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, obviously, the Yankees need to do something at second base, although I think that they've also said something to the effect of they um, – and they don't view him as a solution. I guess he's played some outfield maybe, and they don't view him as a solution out there. Um, but uh, he, he's interesting at least in the sense that uh, he certainly has demonstrated the ability to get on base as uh, a 23-year-old who, I mean, maybe offers a tiny bit of power, tiny bit of speed. Uh, is this a guy that? Uh, I mean, seems unlikely that he's mix league worthy, but maybe he's, you know, maybe he's kind of Tommy lastella ish But uh, anything uh, speculative-wise, as far as when you think he might come up, when he and uh, how how interested you are in him.
1: Well, I think so much of this has to do with his with the team, uh, with the Yankees, and what they think of their chances this year. and It's just really hard to know. You know, I, I personally don't think the Yankees have a great shot at the playoffs. Yeah, I don't and, either. <laughs> and, you know, if you look at, um, let's see, our, our cool standings projected, uh, our playoff odds, uh, the Yankees, they do have, uh, let see, a 25% playoff odds uh, right now. That's decent, but, um, you know, I think that the Blue Jays and Orioles will go out and improve their teams a little bit more than uh, McCarthy. The Yankees just lost to Naka. That has to that has to factor in in a way that probably hasn't factored into these numbers just yet. Um, and uh, when you look at the wild card race, you've got the Angels and Mariners and Royals all ahead of the Yankees, um, um, you know, and then the loser of the Orioles-Blue Jays battle. So, uh it's possible they're fifth in line for a wild, uh, for the wild card spot right now, um, and they just lost. They might lose their best pitcher for the rest of the season. So uh, I think they're probably just treading water. If, if Tanaka is out uh, for a long term, um, I think that they won't uh, necessarily buy a lot of pieces. Um, and then uh, sometime uh, when their playoff odds drop below five or ten percent, uh, then you'll see them DFA Roberts. Uh, pick up ref snyder that sort of deal so i think they're just going to move slowly try to find out what they really are right now without spending too much um you know and and, uh and uh so i think that uh, the the breathing happy after ref snyder right now ignores the fact that there's not really a place for him unless they dfa roberts so
0: yeah I think also how, how much just kind of a side question, how much do you think, I mean, I think it factors in at least for them a little bit. This is Derek Jeter's last season. How much do they hold on to the playoff oppor- opportunity mm. just because of that?
1: Well, I, I just think it's, uh, it's expected of them to, to hold on to that. And I think yeah. it's expected of them to compete. So they will continue to act as if they're going to compete until it's,
0: until it's pretty much mathematically impossible.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, out, uh, out that they. Uh, I mean, I doubt that they're going to uh, DFA. Got I mean, Brian Roberts is at least above, it, um, but he is really close to replacement. So, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: I guess at some point they could say, "Well, Russ Snyder is a better acquisition than any any hit hit any hit bat we can get on the free uh, on the white uh, on the trade market." So, here's our big trade. I mean, that's a possibility, but. Um, uh, you know, there was a time when when most fans were breathing pretty hot and heavy after after uh getting you know, getting rid of Roberts and and, and replacing him with somebody. But uh, I think that's calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. They would necessarily cow to that sort of pressure, but you know, I think that it probably somewhat belies what they're thinking as well, is what's our biggest need. Right now they're probably thinking starting pitching, mm-hmm. not necessarily second base.
0: Yeah. And it's terrible time I mean it's terrible timing for the fact they they make the McCarthy trade and then Tanaka goes down. That's kind of not really how they planned <laughs> things to go. Sadly. Um
1: Matt- I think what was the what was the rotation? It was Tanaka, Korota, uh Beneta,
0: Nuno um, and Phelps.
1: Nuno no, but before before uh, all the injuries. Oh, uh, um and C C. Uh, And the guy before Nuno. Uh, uh, Nova. Nova, and it's like they all they all went down, so it's kind of been tough on them.
0: Yeah, there's at at this at this moment, uh, the only member of the opening day rotation in the Yankees rotation right now is is an underperform well a declining in age uh, influenced Hiroki Kuroda. Mm -hmm. that does not smell like. A very good chance to make the playoffs, either.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't really look like a playoff team to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp has certainly um, given his fantasy owners hope after a really rough point in the season, a really rough start to the season that resulted in a lot of downtime, uh, some time riding a pine. Um, I, I, I'm sure fantasy owners maybe maybe wondering which of these is the real Matt Kemp, uh, but uh, uh, maybe or maybe why he's not running. Uh, what do you see for Kemp? I think going forward, and uh, maybe in future seasons as well.
1: I guess I'm a little bit more. Um, it's hard not. It's really hard not to uh, ignore. Not to see the more more recent positive results and. And uh, remember that he has power and speed. But, um, I mean, I still see a lot of the flaws there. I mean, he's a he's a pretty bad defender even in the corner outfield. Uh, he's been caught almost as many times as he's stolen this year. He's still got bad strikeout rate. And he's still, you know, not average or just below average in terms of walk rate. So, in terms of real-life play, he's not that good. Uh, and, in fact, this season he's been below replacement. And I, I think that's something that... He, you know, even if you disagree with certain parts of the war framework and, you know, you know, you don't love defensive numbers and stuff like that, I think you can watch Matt Kemp play. I think you can say, this is a guy who has a lot of tools. This is a guy who could also hurt me as often as he could help me on the field. And um, I think that most teams will see that. That's why no team is necessarily lining up to, to uh, trade for him. Um, and... Uh, the only way they're going to get rid of them is that they uh, get rid of him is if they you know swallow a ton of money uh, then he's going to a second division uh, team somewhere um, and uh, so that'll reduce his sort of runs an in, in RBI type upside um, you know I doubt he's ever going to steal more than 20 bases again so uh, I think the best scenario for him going forward in a full season is something like 270 2010.
0: Okay, I think that's interesting. I and I think, uh, I mean, he's he's twenty nine. He's almost thirty. I guess he'll be thirty by around the end of the season. Um, what's interesting to me, uh, just kind of in present tense, is that uh, he's got some really weird splits. And I don't know if that's a career wise thing. I have to look at that. But like he's two ninety something, three uh, fifty something, close to five hundred against right handed pitchers. And uh, I think he's always kind of hit right-handed pitchers well, if I'm not mistaken, but he's really performed well, uh, poorly against left-handed pitchers this season. And um, obviously the heating up. I mean, I think I I, I, I think that a lot of this is health related in the sense that the shoulder injury from two years ago, now that we've seen some return, a little bit of return of the power. I mean, I think this is like, I, I don't know what the peak, I still don't, I still don't have a lot of confidence in saying what the peak power is going to be at, in, this version of of Kemp. I think 20, 25, I I mean, I still like to think that 25 or 30 home runs is possible, but I mean, I, (laughs) I may be just, you know, still flashing back to that old player. Um, But the stolen bases to me, especially because I think, the the severe ankle injury that he suffered at the end of last season was really bad time. I'm actually surprised that he has five stolen bases, but he's been caught four times. I think it's primarily because maybe the Dodgers just don't entirely want to give him the stop sign. Like he really probably shouldn't be running very often at all anymore, at least right now, because he's probably still feeling some effects from this ankle injury that, uh, was projected to take maybe a year plus to heal completely. And, um, I think going forward, because he's hitting the wrong side of thirty, and the speed is going to go that he's not. Yeah, I I think ten stolen bases might be kind of his peak, and he may surprise yeah. you one year and, and steal fifteen, but like the other years are going to look like five or something like that. Uh,
1: yeah, maybe Matt Kemp can hit. You know, maybe he can hit twenty-five. Maybe even hit thirty he's fully healthy some year and some team gives him a chance, but
0: right now I'm not saying I'd project it, but I think it's possible. I, I, like in any particular, it, it's really hard to say going forward. Cause we, I mean, part of it is like, we just don't know what a healthy Matt Kemp is going, is going to look like in this stage of his career.
1: Yeah,
0: I think. Uh, and uh, the ankle, I mean, that can certainly affect, you know, your legs and, and, he's not really a hitter. I don't think that he's ever used his legs quite a bit in his stance, but, uh, I think he's probably going to have to start doing that in order to get more from his ability. Um, but he's just, I mean, he's a strange player. To, I think overall, if you own him in a, in a dynasty or keeper league type thing, and you've been waiting, you know, you're saying, uh, oh, finally I'm getting something for this. Like, I mean, just don't, don't expect it to be awesome now that he's, Getting closer to full health and has been doing something for you, I guess. At the same time, like we, we definitely have the temper expectations. This is not the, this is probably not the Matt Kemp of old anymore.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I haven't been a 12 team. I'm happy to have him right now just because um, he's a center fielder, and I have I use center fielders in that one in that in the 12 team dynasty. But I almost wish I had uh, sold low on him um, because I bet you I, I was getting better offers back then. I I could have got Sal Perez for him at some point. And, um, you know, I got Derek Norris in there, but I kind of wish right now that I had Sal Perez a little bit. Uh, <laughs>
0: and that is understandable.
1: I don't have a lot of love for Sal Perez, I mean.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, before we do go, I say this, we wanted to wrap up the hitters. I wanted to talk about one pitcher, uh, and that is Jacob deGrom. Uh no you know, I believe you wrote on him. Uh, I, I, I discussed him recently with some folks uh, on Twitter and um, obviously put in a great performance the other night 11 strikeouts uh, and what is it like seven innings or something like that against the Braves um, and just has been I mean he's kind of been a little hit or miss but 338 ERA generally flash some strikeout ability control is a bit of a problem but uh some really, some some really intriguing stuff about him, and thought you might be able to offer also something about maybe some pitch type peripherals or anything else. What do you? What is it that you like about him?
1: Uh, well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is he's got a nice fastball, and a nice changeup. Um, that's uh, that's the sort of beginning of Jep DeGrom. He's uh, you know he was up to about ninety five, ninety six in that game against the Braves, but uh, he's been sitting ninety three, ninety five. And he has good command of that fastball and he has a really nice change up. So those, that's a good starting point. The problem has been that his slider hasn't been any good and his curve hasn't been any good. And, you know, I don't want to get too in love with, uh, just some numbers from one game, especially against the Braves, the Braves, uh, uh swing
0: and miss a lot. <laughs>
1: that's I Was trying to come up with a funny way of saying it, but oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's, uh, they do a lot. And, uh, you know, uh, you just can't, um, you can't uh, just assume that uh, he made a breakthrough in that game. But the nice thing is he uh, got whiffs on about half the curveballs he threw. Um, and um, so uh, that's the first time I've seen him get a lot of whiffs from one of his breakers. And it makes me think, well, maybe he should uh, turf the slider and, and, and concentrate on that curveball. Um, and uh, curveball, change, fastball, that works for a lot of people. That gives me a lot of hope for him. Um, and, uh, and, and I know his matchup's coming up. We, we, there's a piece uh, by Scott Spratt today on Rotographs about the matchups coming up. So at the very least, he's a pickup for the matchups he's got coming up. He may be a sell high uh, once those matchups finish, but between now and then we also gain more knowledge about uh, how good his curve and slider are. And, you know, if by the end of that stretch, uh, the curve the slider look like an above average pitch, um, I'm buying, I'm buying now, uh, I'm buying mixed leagues. I like them a lot. I, I just like starting with fastball change and, uh, seeing if they can find a breaker that works. It reminds me a lot of the sort of Cole Hamels approach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I like, I like that set of pitches as well. And I mean, we can think of – or we, we know that there are a number of cases where the guys have been kind of maybe a bit of an identity crisis as far as their breaking balls are concerned. And he does throw the slider more than the curveball. But maybe there's – he maybe he's finding the reason to make the switch. And um, that's – like you said, it's one start. But it's really encouraging. And I think I, – I mean I agree. I, I like the stuff. i watched him just I've, – I've watched him only a little – um, and I saw the high. I saw the highlights of that Braves game. But I mean, uh, just in general, he isn't. A, he's a really intriguing pitcher. And I'm. I mean, I'm jealous of those who own him in a couple of leagues I'm in. Uh, simply, simply for the short-term possibilities. And like you said, I mean, there's. I mean, he's. He might be one of those pitchers who was not real high on prospect lists per se, but uh, could be one of these kind of like dynasty league guys where you keep them all and stuff, and he ends up being this like one dollar guy that turns out to be pretty good for you. If this is the kind of evolution uh, that takes place with them, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: Very intriguing guy. Very intriguing. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us for the sleeper in the bus again. Um, you know, as a pleasure as always uh, to hear a lot of your wonderful insight and discuss uh, the bantery type things with you. Banter. <laughs> it's been, it's been a, a pretty fun show that uh, we've been, think we've been slowly improving at this. And uh, again, we always welcome feedback and anything of that nature. Uh, we hope we've continued to cut out some of the mechanical issues and things like that. Uh, but uh, this has been episode number 140 of the Sleeper Bust, Sleeper and the Bust, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you again next week.